Okay, I'm recording. Are you recording? I am recording. Excellent. So, Jimmy, which Prime Minister um, would you be most excited to bring back? And you know what? Just to spice things up, I'm going to allow you to choose living or dead. <laughs> See, this isn't the way these podcasts are supposed to start. I was supposed to be asking you the NCC question. I don't question. care. No, no, I and had a question. There's supposed to be a whole I... intro thing as well, but... Sure, 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 sure. You asked the question I was going to ask, so I guess that's that's all fine. Um, mm-hmm. Including the dead people is interesting. Um, mm. I think bring back the Duke of Wellington as Secretary of Defence. I think that's <laughs> that's what I'm feeling, actually. And that would uh-huh, that would add uh-huh. some spice to, to things. Lovely. Excellent. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, Margaret Thatcher for um, Minister of the Dead. That's quite fun. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the government does have some functions in dealing with dead people. So there was, I, there was a case a few years ago where the morgues weren't properly funded. So the morgues were getting like, I don't want to use the word clogged up because, you know, these are actual people. Oh, but, you know. my God. <laughs> Well, no, they're not anymore. They're just cadavers now, aren't they? I, I, you know, I suppose philosophically, yes, maybe. But uh, the, the, the corpses were stacking up in the morgues uh, mm. due to cuts to local government funding mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, was it NHL? Whoever it is responsible for, you know, moving the dead bodies around. Um, uh-huh. and, and that was that was causing various problems. So actually, you know, potentially having a minister for the dead... It's not a secretary position, I don't think. It doesn't doesn't rise to that. But... Unlikely, but you you'd imagine them being on question time a lot, I think. The minister for the dead. <laughs> yeah, I think so. They do really well there. Um uh, wonderful uh, uh segue there, um Jimmy into the fact that uh, David Cameron who instigated a load of those cuts that caused that corpse backlog clog up, however you want to call it. Um he's back in government now and we didn't know that that was available and uh, <laughs> Just as, as an option. As an option, yeah. We didn't realise that a that a Prime Minister All Stars um was a uh, was a possibility for a cabinet reshuffle. Um uh and as we're recording, they're still in the process of reshuffling, so we are going to be um out of date by the time you listen to this. But oh you love the drama, don't you? Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Dishonorable Podcast. As truthful as resources permit. I'm Jazza. That's Jimmy. Indeed. And we talk about Mm -hmm. politics, current affairs and social issues whenever we fancy it. Yeah, which is right now. As on recording for me, it's nine o'clock in the morning um, uh, on a Monday. So you're welcome, Jimmy. Don't tell my employer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, this podcast isn't going to be publicly available, so they'll have no means of finding out. Um, Fantastic. Jez has already alluded to to one of our topics, which is the, the reshuffle, which apart from having David Cameron appointed as Foreign Secretary... I guess the main event is the sacking of Suella Braverman. Well, yeah, but I think this is all very clever because the mm. sacking of Suella Braverman has been trailed for the last, like, what, week? Yeah. Uh, since she wrote that, um, uh, uh, shall we say misguided article in The Times? Where I, don't she... think, I didn't think it was that bad, actually. I knew that you were going to fucking... Yeah. Oh, my God, you're the absolute worst. We uh, so it was an article that was quite um, inflammatory that uh, wasn't apparently signed off completely by the prime minister. She's been a very naughty girl, and now she's lost her job because of it. I was just looking up this Times article in the background, and um, mm-hmm. 
hilarious. This isn't the, the name of the article in question, but there was a headline in the Times, which is Suella Braverman sacked. I have more to say, she warns. She wants, yeah. So that's also something that is, um, she just got sacked and then said, oh, there's more, more to come. I've, I've, I've more things, I've more things to say. Sub- subscribe to my po- Substack, I guess. I mean, that's the way Dominic Cummings went. Um, and, yeah, but uh, he wasn't a fucking home secretary. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about, we've done this a bit arse backwards, but um, we're going to be talking about the reshuffle. We're also going to be talking about the Armistice Day protest, which is is roughly what Suella Braverman was sacked over because she was effectively saying that the the police were not being heavy handed enough with the what I, the group I'm going to call the pro Palestine uh, marches, mm-hmm. which is well, we'll we'll talk about the sort of nuances in there and and, and what exactly they stand for or or, or don't stand for. But uh, this weekend just passed was Remembrance Sunday and Remembrance Saturday, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do? What's that for? Because some people are international, Jimmy. They don't know what remembrance is. They don't know how to remember. (laughs) Maybe you've forgotten since you're over in the States. But the States has Veterans Day, which is around the same time, right? Is that exactly the same thing? Something happens on the 11th of November, but it isn't the same. Right. So 11th of November uh, is commemorating the end of the First World War, which uh, one of those wars that the Americans turned up late for. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And there were in in the context of all the of everything that's going on in Israel and Gaza, um, they there was a a mass march organised. I think the the Met uh, police force reckoned there were about three hundred thousand people there. The organisers of the march said there were eight hundred thousand people there. So mm-hmm. slight discrepancy in the the body counts there. Um, well, it's that's always the case, and it's it usually surprise surprise lands somewhere in the middle. Well, I, I I think it probably lands rather closer to the police estimates than the activists' estimate. But um, yeah, that that's your BBC bias coming yes, through. Yeah, yeah, you I'm, shill I'm, for police, the police I'm, and the government, <laughs> and the BBC apparently. Well, um, I actually really liked Suella Braverman's article. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about the Armistice Day protests, so the the pro-Palestine protests and the counter-protests, who were um, largely composed of. People associated with the you know, the English Defence League, which I, I think is shut down now, um, and the mm-hmm. various like football lads groups. I think it's called the Democratic Football Lads Associ- oh, Association God. or something. Um, mm. And then this then leads us into the reshuffle, uh, with which we've already trailed, and we'll be finishing up by discuss. This is you know, there's a, there's a lot of characters popping up from the past here, and the the last segment we'll be talking about the COVID inquiry, which has most notably featured Dominic Cummings. Um, who had plenty to say about the government's handling of the pandemic and the civil service's general fitness for purpose. Um, he doesn't think it was very good. Yeah. Spoiler. He doesn't think it was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he said it that measured, actually, as well. Really? No swearing, no nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was really kind of like uh, calm in his response. Even-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Awesome. Is that the intro? I think that's the intro. All that to look yeah. forward to. We'll play some music, <laughs> talk about the Patreon accounts, and get on with it. All right, get on with it then. Welcome to the short advertising break before we return to our main feature. If you made it this far, you're probably enjoying the Right Dishonorable podcast, but you could be enjoying it even more if you went over to our Patreon to access bonus segments. 
Every week, we talk about something that we've not talked about in the main episode, trashing such varied targets as Elon Musk, other people's podcasts, and vasectomies. To hear why Jazza wants me to get the snip, head over to patreon.com forward slash right dishonorable, and you can subscribe for as little as one American dollar per episode. That's patreon.com forward slash right dishonorable. Thank you, as always, to our existing patrons, Eternal Elf, Alice L, Andrew Kilpatrick, Archie, Kaz, David Preston, Gemma Cumming, Gio Carney, Elena Domkina, John O, Marlene, Matt, Michael Costa, Michael Markman, Nick Webb, Tabitha Gross, Taha Khan, Theo, Ubel Noig, and Will. If you'd been back in London for Armistice Day, would you have been joining the ranks of the pro-Palestine protesters or the counter-protesters associated with the far right? I'd likely have skipped the quote-unquote counter-protests, mainly because they they seem to be highly... They seem to over-index on um, Arsenal fans, and I generally give them a wide berth uh, as a general rule, as a Spurs supporter. Um, do you think, that, do you also, think that's true? There's, they over-index on Arsenal just, fans? Or are you well, just winding people up? No, I'm, I'm, well, I'm kind of winding people up. Um, but also, uh, a few of the videos that I've seen have been people in Arsenal. I, the, the, the shirts that I've noticed the most have been Arsenal shirts. Um, this is purely anecdotal. Don't come for me, Gooners. Like, it's just something that I noticed. L- like, look inwards and reassess your culture. Uh, but um, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm not joining protests in the US. This is partially because I'm an immigrant and I'm really scared of being arrested and then deported. Um, I kind of want to avoid that. Um if I were home and I knew that being sent back home was like 20 minutes down the road, um, I would, yeah, I'd be joining the Palestinian, the, 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 uh, protest that were calling for a ceasefire, I think was like the official. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be like thing. Um, because you know what? I do think there should be a ceasefire and I cannot believe that that is a controversial thing to say. Um, but, uh, politicians have stuff that they need they have lots of interest that they need to juggle um but yeah i would likely be at those protests but i'd be one of the really um uh what's the word i because i love because um i i don't really like (laughs) remembrance day uh but i do uh it's one of those like weird really formal kind of like english it feels like a very English thing. Um, uh, one of those really Englishy things that uh, was such a strong part of my upbringing that I do respect it an awful lot. And so I would have gone to the um, uh, the the protest. I would have uh, been silent for three minutes or two minutes. How long is the, the silence? I'm minutes. not sure. But you can put a two in minute silence. If, if you're feeling <laughs> yeah, extra no, really patriotic, put, you really, can do that. really put in the work. Um, I would have probably worn a poppy and then also done the two minute silence. Um, uh, because I think that you can contain multitudes. You didn't go, did you? No. <laughs> no, didn't think so. I think, I, I mean, I think protests are largely a waste of time. And I, I, I feel that more and more as I age, <laughs> and I don't like that. <laughs> and I, I, I've always found the atmosphere, because I, I have attended some, not particularly um, as a participant, as it were, but more, more as an observer, because I, I do find them interesting. But... 
they have a slight i mean by definition they have quite a group thinky feel to them and because mm. you're all you're all massing generally I, I say generally for one cause although the the culture of protest in this country is that any vaguely left-wing protest will be kind of co-opted by the socialist workers party and um, there were lots of socialist workers party um there was a big presence at this yes, demonstration yeah, yeah. and they had a lot of uh well, it was noted that the front page of the um, Socialist Workers' Party newspaper, um, something, something, was, um, it had, I think the headline was from the, from the River to the Sea, which is a pro-Palestinian, uh, I'm going to say catchphrase. It's obviously not a catchphrase. <laughs> a, man- but a, a mantra would be a fair description. A mantra, and it is, uh, it's, it's often kind of like framed in a very... Um, anti-Israeli uh, and um, anti-Jewish way because it um, implies Israel shouldn't exist at all. That's that's kind of the hard interpretation of it. But there are yeah. so there are some people who use it who I don't think necessarily mean that by it. They, they it's just... re- yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of the people chanting it are just like, oh, this is a nice, this sounds like a like a Church of England hymn. <laughs> let's, let's chant this. Um but yeah, unfortunately, it does have that connotation. Well, I think this is, it's quite a good step off point into what Suella Braverman, the now former Home Secretary, was talking about when she labelled the protesters as hate marchers in that Times article that you referred to. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's kind of the contentious part, right? Because a lot of the article is basically talking about the long-standing right to protest and freedom of association and a lot of it's quite bland and banal actually and even the conclusion of the article is that the police need to be even-handed it's not it doesn't actually call for the protest to be shut down although i think suella braverman did call for the protest to be shut down in remarks outside of the the times Mm -hmm. column that we were talking about um but she does I, i can't tell if the way it's written to me anyway, is slightly ambiguous. I can't tell if she's referring to all of the marchers as hate marchers or if she's just referring to the subset of marchers who have, say, you know, say that phrase, which, as you mm-hmm. say, some, pe- some people... I-, I think that's probably the main interpretation of it is it is calling for the, the end of Israel. Um, mm-hmm. um, whether she's actually referring to those people as hate marchers specifically or whether it's the overall... Any- anyone who affiliates themselves with that in any sense. Yeah, it's just kind of like make. Uh, I mean, it was a an awful. <laughs> I, I I really think it was an awful article. The uh, the thread that she drew between um, kind of like uh, these hate marches and marches in uh, Northern Ireland as well, and it, like the ignorance of invoking um, the culture in Northern Ireland and the um, complexities of the situation there um, just reeked of a lack of understanding of what that situation is she i'm just we'll get into the we'll get into the reshuffle but i'm just really glad that this lady is no longer actually kind of like actively in charge of anything that is serious oh she's still an mp to be fair yeah so she still gets to vote on you know laws that affect this country and policies and and that sort of thing so she's not completely Mm -hmm. out of power no, she's but not. She's not point. But she's she's further away from the centre of it. <laughs> she's certainly further away from the centre of it. Um, I, I think it's so to me anyway. The whole 
call for a ceasefire. I mean, it obviously would be good if um, uh, Israelis and Palestinians stopped killing each other in the Middle East. But I, I think, in my, in, from my view anyway, I think at this point, the, ce- the ceasefire existed on October 6th, basically, and it was broken by Hamas when they decided to effectively invade Israel and mm-hmm. attack all of the Israeli civilians. And I, I don't think it's appropriate at this stage to say to Israel that sh- they shouldn't respond to that. I mean, I wouldn't expect it, you know, if you're talking about France or the UK or America's obviously quite a belligerent c- country, but um, any any kind of major Western country or even a non, non you talk about China or, or India or whoever, if they were attacked in the same way, I don't think you would expect them not to respond in a violent way in return. I just think that's unrealistic yeah. basically so yeah i mean ultimately yeah, I yes yes we do we do want the violence to stop but i don't think i don't think israel can just take what happened and not respond in a in a violent way yeah i agree and, I, and this is this is why i this is one of the reasons why i am not as vocal like what have i got now my instagram stories feed where i would end up posting about this <laughs> I, I also feel like that's a bit like it's it's not what i have an instagram feed um uh, even though a lot of people have decided to to use their platforms uh, and that platform is specifically like that um but there is so much uh it's so it it uh, like in in many ways it's incredibly simplistic in many ways it's incredibly complex and there isn't a huge amount of um history there is the reality of stuff on the ground um of course israel should be able to I think I think that Israel should be able to retaliate. Is there a long history of why Hamas like even exists? Yes, of course there is. Mm. But then, like as soon as you start talking about this in any kind of a forum that doesn't allow you to have nuance, like say an Instagram story or an X tweet or whatever, um, uh, you end up having to make all of these caveats. And I think it's an incredibly ineffective way to actually be able to talk about these things. Um, and in that case, I think that you have to, and I, I, I've thought about this, I, I think that this is kind of like the cathartic nature of being able to protest. You get to kind of like figure out, okay, what is the what is the most simplistic version of this that I kind of like want? What do I want out of this? I would like people to stop being killed. <laughs> what causes mm. that? Um, yeah. a, 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 a ceasefire. And so there's almost a luxury in being a civilian in a place that isn't being directly um, kind of like affected by that kind of um, by by war in the way that um, the Middle East is or the way that um, other parts of the world are right now. Um, You are allowed to take kind of like a a binary stance like that and call for something that isn't practical and that probably isn't going to happen. Because then I think the goal is I think the goal is to like shift Overton window kind of stuff. Um, as as in as in you, you're, they're not really expecting Israel not to invade Gaza and bomb Gaza. They just want to provide some sort of breaks on that process. I think that that is what I don't know if that's necessarily like the goal, but I think that that is what that is the best case scenario of what can happen mm. with making these kinds of. Uh, demands and doing these kinds of demonstrations, but I, I don't know. The whole thing's a fucking mess, isn't it? <laughs> well, well, at the moment, 
the Tories, I mean, Tories and Labour are pretty well aligned on foreign policy, at least as far as the Ukraine war, yeah. Ukraine war goes and as far as the Israel situation is as well. I mean, the, the UK, this is something that has, I don't know if we mentioned it in the last podcast, but there have been a lot of um, pieces kind of bemoaning public sentiment um, against Israel in the UK and the wider Western world. And when I read some of those articles, I do think, well, America and the UK in terms of their, the actual states, in terms of the governments of those countries, do back Israel and militarily mm-hmm. back Israel, provide equipment yeah, and a, intelligence. Back ton of money. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not it's not as if these you know there's no pro Israel feeling. It's just that you know the US and the UK are gen- genuinely divided as far as public opinion goes. Uh, but when you get to the government level, it's really one sided. I would say. Yeah. And I agree, and I, and I think that's why you end up with a um, this kind of a protest. I will say also, just as a point of clarification, mm. um, I I don't I think that um, uh, it is, for want of a better word, handy that one of these protests landed on Armistice Day on the eleventh of November. But from uh, but it's not deliberate. These protests have been every week, every yeah, um, every, every weekend, and it just it so happened that happens it, that it, it led up. It's to a Saturday, this. yeah. Um, but I mean, I would say, you know, there are a lot of people, um, I would say commentate, commentators on the right saying, you know, uh, Remembrance Day is sacred to the British. Some of them even use that word. And, it, okay. you know, it's this, <laughs> it's designated for remembering our wall dead specifically. Um, uh-huh. You kind of alluded to that in the intro. But but, but I, I would say, you know, if you, if you look at um, poppies in particular, you know, obviously the whole the point of the of, of red poppies being kind of as a war memorial symbol uh, was that World War One was li- widely regarded as a total disaster where loads of young men pointlessly lost mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. I would say if any weekend is appropriate for an anti-war demonstration, it would be yep. Remembrance uh, Weekend. Yep. So, you know, that whole point baffled me. Um, I, I think we have to, we've talked previously about Remembrance Sunday and I, I think we both came to the conclusion that it it feels less and less relevant as the years roll on. I mean, it's been more than 100 years since the end of the First World War, which was the original inspiration for, as I said, the, the poppy as a symbol. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it's not like there haven't been wars in the meantime, but I I think part of the problem is that it, it's been increasingly endorsed by the armed forces in an official capacity, and therefore it's become harder to separate, you know, it as a, a separate sort of... I wouldn't necessarily call it an anti-war thing, but poppies used to, I feel there used to be more of a distinction between poppies and between commemorating the war dead versus UK foreign policy. Do you see what I mean? Like when you've got yeah. poppies being put on aeroplanes and, and that kind of thing, it it feels like the whole thing's been conflated in an unhelpful way, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's one of the weird ways that um, Britishness gets... Uh, kind of like expressed it's like a very it's 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 an expression of national identity i think a lot well um, it, it, it is kind of i mean we, we both slightly scoffed at um it being called a sacred weekend but i mean britain doesn't really have a national day in the way that like america has independence day um france has i, I can't remember what the national french day is but m- most countries have a day of national day yeah national commemoration and britain this is the closest thing that britain has to that um not not bonfire night <laughs> yeah commemorating anti-catholic sentiments in the um is this 1500s or 1600s yeah and what I, could be more 1600s, british than that is um, <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, every time the thing is that St George's Day is just not taken seriously, and that's obviously particular to the mm-hmm. English as well. So we don't we don't really really have a solution to this uh, this problem, if if indeed people see it as a problem. Um, but should, I mean, mentioning that, should we talk about the slight hijacking of Remembrance Day um, by? I guess we could call them the far right. I mean, certainly like nat- some some extremists, some, na- some nas- nationalist, na- nationalist protesters. Yeah. So yeah, um, we're going to talk about sort of blast from the past with, in terms of David Cameron. But Tommy Robinson um, just turned up oh God, in the news no. over the Why? last weekend. Stop. Why? Um, he disappeared from the scene. I think he had a couple of convictions for contempt of court, i.e., disrupting <laughs> court proceedings and legal proceedings. Uh-huh. Um, the background on him is that he. I think he used to own tanning salons back in the day, um, but he he became very associated with the uh, you know the English right, particularly the nationalistic right, and yeah. protesting you know doing campaigning about um, about rape gangs you know that tended to be from a, a Pakistani Muslim background. Um, but he's disappeared from the scene, and he just came back seemingly. You know, he was on Twitter. He, he's been reinstated on Twitter recently. Um, oh, lovely! And well he, done, Elon. He used that opportunity to actually to, to call for people to come down. And um, most of the accounts I read of it involved men basically getting drunk and then uh, you know starting scuffles with the police around the cemetery. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were yobs. Yeah, and they were going and they were going around. Um, uh, uh, telling police that oh you're not English anymore because they yeah. were offended yeah, yeah, they yeah. were like causing this barrier a load of this racist tosh um, and the wonderful irony of um, uh, Suella Braverman's article exclusively really warning against um, who are perceived as kind of like left wing um, uh, pro Palestinian protests and the vast majority of the arrests happening over the weekend coming from people who are probably riled up by uh, her words and given almost a, a license to do it. Would you say, do you think, or are you... Are you... No, I, I, I don't think many of these people read The Times. Um... I don't, think they, I don't <laughs> think they need to read The Times. I don't think they need to read The Times to know that this has been in the public consciousness and that the Home Secretary was talking about um, uh, police bias and that would rile them up and make them go to a particular place for a fight. I think that... Um, uh, uh, it, th- this was buoyed and this was aided by that, by her stance and by her vocalisation. I'm always a little bit sceptical about these vague incitement charges. Uh, I, I think actually it's far more likely that people came down because of Tommy Robinson's influence, because he has standing in that area and he has presumably still has a network where he can mm. disseminate um, you know, these calls to actually turn up to these events. So I'd probably put it more on him. Um, I mean... I, th- I think you're right in saying that most of the arrests on the day, I think almost about 100 people arrested on the 90 it's plus. 120, it's 120 something now. now. Um, it's, I think it's more than that, but it's, uh, it's yeah, it's slowly yeah. creeped up, but it's over 100. Most of them were on the, uh, the nationalist side rather than the pro-Palestine side. Um, but the police have actually issued various calls for people who were part of the pro-Palestine march. Uh, did you see this image of... A woman holding a coconut tree and two of the coconuts that had fallen to the grounds were the heads of actually it was the head of Suella Braverman and the head of Rishi Sunak. Hmm. That's not something I would take to a march. No. Um mm. I mean, that's... that's that's pretty fucking racist. Yeah, I mean I, I think that's a fairly <laughs> slam dunk thing in terms of um, hate crime legislation. 
Not not so. slam dunk for coconut. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> terrible. I didn't even connect that in my mind. <laughs> not that but that you, visualization you, is going to be stuck with coconuts? me. Coconuts. I feel like it's more like is it a coconut shy where you throw coconut you throw balls at coconuts on sticks and <laughs> knock them off. Yeah. Yeah. So so that I think that would have more been the metaphor. Right? If 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 I was going for something like that, that's more where I would have gone with it. Um, yeah, let's find this lady so we can give her notes. Um, and there were there was somebody holding an anti-Israel banner that had an image of a, a snake in the style of the Israeli flag. Going, I saw the, going a, a swastika a swastika version of the Israeli flag as well that I uh, saw. Yeah, there's loads of horrible and stuff pe- there. people dressed up as Hamas terrorists as well, allegedly. I mean, I I, I don't know what the uniform is for Hamas, uh, but. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, I mean, I, I think some of these people will be arrested in, in due course. So I think the numbers will probably balance out a little bit more. But I mean, bear in mind the sheer number. There were way more uh, pro-Palestine protesters than nationalist protesters. So I, I mm-hmm. guess as proportions, the nationalists caused far more trouble. But, but by and large, it seemed to pass without much incident, wouldn't you say? Like, it's not it's not like it all kicked off. There were, I mean, there were a lot of police on the ground. There were, lot, there were police brought in from other, from outside mm-hmm. of London. But it, it seemed as though, given the tensions around the whole thing, it was handled quite well, was my perception. From my view across the Atlantic, I think, yeah, broadly it went as well as it. I'm just glad that there wasn't a fucking actual riot. Yeah. <laughs> right? uh, uh, to be honest, I was I was quite worried about that um, uh, protest, looking at it with the distance that I have um, after all of the rhetoric in the run-up to it. So, obviously what happened... So we're now recording this on Monday the 13th and there was quite a lot of speculation as to why Rishi Sunak was not sacking Suella Braverman given that she was clearly undermining him just sort of working off brief not so the article that was published in the Times an earlier draft was was shown to Downing Street but the the version that actually appeared in the Times wasn't signed off and so in the last week Suella Braverman also made this comments about um how being homeless was a lifestyle choice and they should take away their tents. She says so much awful stuff that it's really difficult to keep up. I feel like I'm being bombarded like all of the time (laughs) and I'm quite excited for hopefully a bit of a rest while she decides what more to say she has. But do you think that Rishi Sunak was waiting for the weekend to pass before sacking her? It's hard not to think that, isn't it? Yeah. Why, why didn't he sack her at last week, though? Because uh, he's... Uh, the coalition that he has created um, off of the back of the, like, cabinet and the uh, makeup in parliament that he has post-Johnson winning the 2019 election, um, the trust government, and now his, he has... I remember when he first came in and he appointed all of his cabinet, Suella Brothman stood out as somebody who had been sacked for breaking the ministerial code already, and then he brought her back. Mm. He, I, I, It felt like he was trying really hard to maintain a balance that appeased the right wing. Um, uh, and I think it probably took a while for him to be able to figure out what a coalition that he himself would build would look like and i think with this reshuffle with suella being kicked out um 
cleverly being moved into the home office position and Lord fucking Cameron being given <laughs> a job in the cabinet. Uh, and you see um, uh, Theresa Coffey has been... Uh, she's resigned, actually. She wasn't sacked. From my understanding, at the moment, news um, the news websites are saying that she was she resigned. On Gardo Forks, it says she was sacked as Environment Secretary. Uh, Up until about half an hour ago, the BBC were still saying that she was um, that she resigned. But I, I suppose in in situations like this somebody may end up residing because they are offered a different position that they may perceive as a demotion. Sure, so and, as a technicality. Yeah. But she was also, she was the deputy prime minister to Liz Truss and um, was seen as kind of like, I guess, a little bit of the gum that that kept the right kind of like in the camp of government. And it looks like most of them are now being removed and Rishi Sunak's actual allies are being shifted around and brought into government and i think what's also happening is there's, there's been a couple of people these are not not as widely known so health minister will quince and nick gibb who's school minister they've both resigned and they've they've also both said they won't stand at the next um election the next general mm-hmm. election so i i think there's a certain amount of clearing out people who don't see much of a, a near-term future in the tory party as well mm-hmm I mean, before we started recording this podcast, you we were both agreeing that we enjoyed the drama of David Cameron oh, coming back. Yeah, I love, I I adored it. I woke I woke up early um, in New York where I live and <laughs> saw. Um, it was it was like the front page. It, it was surprise front page news on the BBC that David Cameron had just been appointed foreign secretary. Oh my god! Well, this wasn't on my bingo card. Well, I, I was watching, foot, I think it was Sky News footage, and Kay Burley was commenting. Um, and there, there's, the footage was the car comes down Downing Street, and the journalists are not sure who's going to get out of the car because mm-hmm. it's a nondescript um, Land Rover type vehicle. And uh, David Cameron comes out, and the journalist sounded uh, genuinely shocked that it mm-hmm. was him. I, I I get the impression nobody was particularly expecting this, just going by the initial reactions. It seems to have come out of the blue. For mm-hmm. most people, whereas you, you'd expect with a lot of these kind of decisions, because there's so many leaks and back channel briefings and so on, that there'd have been some indication that he was on the cards. Mm-hmm. I did not. I, I I think this is a last. I would be really interested to see what public opinion, rather than journalistic class, journalistic class also love the fucking drama, don't they? Like they're yeah. having a lovely time. And I really like these periods because you can see the joy in like um, uh, Sophie Ridge's face as she's standing outside and being like, oh, who's coming along? Oh, it's Laura Trot. Hello, love. Um, like it's uh, uh, really enjoyable. I wonder how this is going down in the places where it actually matters, which is um, those the swing seats that we expect to be particularly important during the next election so again guy fawkes i do i do read other things it's just you know yeah sometimes you read unheard yes sometimes i do read unheard Uh, and the critic let's let's not forget other places (laughs) that i've written for in the past um so there was a poll this is back in 2018 so this is going back a bit but uh apparently there was a suggestion i don't remember this at all but um there was some that YouGov asked the question what people would think, whether people would support the idea of David Cameron coming back as Foreign Secretary. Because this was 2018, I guess Theresa May would have still been Prime Minister. Yeah, I think so. And 53% opposed David Cameron uh, coming back. 
in terms of supporting, I think it's about 20% supported, 22% were in favour. Um, I doubt that, I, maybe that, maybe it has improved though, because quite a lot has happened since then. There's been quite a lot of chaos. And I, I think even for your, not that David Cameron was crazy popular when he left office, but I think a lot of people look quite fondly on prime ministers once they've actually left office, don't they? They have a more <laughs> positive view of yeah. them. Yeah, isn't he being investigated at the moment for like lobbying details, charges? Details, details, details. <laughs> Uh, yeah, obviously. So there was the big uh, the Greensill scandal where he he was texting Rishi Sunak and and uh, you know other of his old mates and trying to get favourable treatment oh God, for the financial firm so he was working for. Awkward, so awkward. <laughs> hey Rishi, remember me? I used to be your boss. <laughs> Can you do us a favour, yeah. yeah. How so embarrassing. Um, I I don't know. There is part of me that like pines for the halcyon days of like normalcy of the coalition government um uh where you know the most like stuff wasn't drama fueled hey he's his foreign secretary now which is a position that he never held um i don't think he ever had a he he never had a cabinet position before becoming prime minister the only cabinet position he's ever held is PM. Well, he uh, was he was elected as an MP when the Tories were out of office, so he wouldn't have had an opportunity to hold a, a cabinet. But I think position. I remember at the time. I think it's still relative. It's still pretty rare for someone to be at the time. It was pretty rare for someone to be leader of the party and to not have any actual cabinet experience. Yeah, I think um, that's. I think things the, have the, changed. The churn now. rate has gone up of MPs in general. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, so that certainly is a factor. But like he's a, the foreign secretary now, and you can't say that um, he is one of the most uh, unintentionally influential um, <laughs> prime ministers when it comes to foreign policy and that we've ever had. <laughs> I mean, it was his intention to hold a referendum on. <laughs> yeah, on maybe the day after he went. <laughs> whoopsie, uh, guys, looks like I fucked up. Um, so I'm gonna go now. Bye. But somebody, somebody was saying that if if you bring back a former prime minister, I mean, there seem to be to be some parallels. Where it's not quite the same, but when William Hague was brought in as foreign secretary in the Cameron the Cameron coalition government, mm-hmm. um, having somebody who's a kind of you know old grandee, big grandee type thing, it does kind of make sense. Into and I guess also you could look at. Um, is it John Kerry in the US who was Secretary of State for a Yeah, while? he was the um uh the Democratic nominee in two thousand and four. Um, president. And then yeah. yes. Uh, and then when uh Hillary Clinton left to run for president herself, he was brought in yeah. um as foreign secretary. Yeah. So yeah, that I mean that it's it does kind of make sense to, as an idea. I mean, as you say, uh Brexit was, was his child, so illegitimate yeah i suppose so um and i'm sure that will not go uncommented upon when he's traveling around the world to to visit various foreign dignitaries yeah he'll go he'll go and hang out with um mark ruta who he went to oxford with i think did he is that i think I have a feeling Probably, that he has a, a link. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds right. um uh, and he'll be like bruh what the fuck uh <laughs> what yeah. have you done um but uh this feels so flaily. Like you think uh, it's desperate? Yeah. Um, Rishi has tried to lead from 
the right of the party with like a right lean look at all of not just um his cabinet and suella braverman's rhetoric specifically um uh but like the stuff that he has said and felt like he's had to um uh uh to mount in order to keep that side of the uh of the party happy this now feels like what he's doing is a de- is like a, a flailing tack to the left mm. um of the conservative party uh, uh <laughs> it's it's part of me part of me feels sorry for him um i don't think he knows what the fuck he wants to do all he wants is power and his options are seem really fucking thin on the ground um Despite the fact that he still has, like, an 80-seat majority. Well, that's the weird thing, isn't it? Is that the government feels so weak and so pathetic. And, and actually, we, we didn't really touch on the, the King's speech where... Because it was very boring. But it was, but there wasn't an awful lot there. And obviously, you know, whenever the general election is, is, is held, we're, we're coming in for the last year of this parliament. Uh, so it, it, it's understandable you'd scale back the ambitions somewhat, but... He kind of does it. He doesn't seem to have any ideas. There doesn't really seem to be any point to Rishi Sunak being in power. He he just seems to be shepherding the country to the next general election, mm-hmm. which kind of invites the question, why doesn't he just call one sooner rather than later? But um, it is strange, given the 80-seat majority. But even now, if the Tories stopped tearing holes in one another... They could actually do some stuff in the last year. Some, but you know, they don't know what they want to do, Jimmy, do they? What does, what does Rishi Sunak want to do? He wants to go to California, you know, join, <laughs> join the board of a few fintech startups. He wants out. to have a podcast. That's what the Elon Musk interview was about. He was just practicing. He's the new Joe Rogan. <laughs> Surely the new George Osborne slash Ed Balls slash Roy yeah. Stewart slash Alistair Campbell. I know that we're in a very glass house sitting in our podcast, um, but can you all stop making competitors? I don't. Us, I mean, I, I, I arguably still don't have a real job, so you know this. This for me is the main, the main deal. Whereas you know these people had proper jobs and they're just moving into podcasting, just staying around turf. Yeah, you know park- I mean? yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, rude. yeah. <laughs> it's just rude, and you know they're supposed to be serious people. I don't run anything important, so if I run my mouth off. It doesn't matter, does it? Like, what happened to dignity? <laughs> it's still better than the man, than the Matt Hancock method of, you know, going on. SES oh yeah, but every, no, but every but everybody hated him. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this this offers the opportunity for a neat segue into the COVID inquiry. Actually, if we're if, oh. we're, if we're done talking about flailing Rishi Sunak. Uh, which um, I think is the right read on that situation. But should we should we talk about the COVID inquiry? How much of it have yeah. you been watching slash reading about? Oh, I haven't watched any of it, but I have read quite a lot of it. It's mm. I, I actually find, ironically, because he's now, I guess, a full-time writer, I find Dominic Cummings' WhatsApps actually really difficult to read. Yes, um, I can see that, yeah. Uh, in actually a very similar way. He's a terrible... For somebody who now does this as, like, their job, um, I think he has a terrible prose style. Um, if, I, if, I, if I can give some honest feedback. He just types out what's in his head and then goes, cool, send. Like, mm-hmm. There's no reading back, there's no editing, there's no restructuring to make the ideas have any logical flow. Uh, I am available for editing work at quite a reasonable rate, actually. It is the tone which I think is the most shocking. Of his WhatsApp messages. Yeah, of his WhatsApp messages and like messages around and about 
cabinet that we have seen over the past week or so or couple of weeks there's been a lot a lot of the commentary feels like it has hinged on well this clearly shows that they didn't know what they were doing and if we're being fair i don't think anyone really especially in those early march um like the february march time i think everybody was kind of just feeling it out mm. um and had and didn't really know what we were meant to do hindsight is 2020 but he it was it just felt it's it looked like a terrible place to work <laughs> it, <laughs> to be honest like it just it seems like nobody liked each other that isn't necessarily conducive to effective decision making well i mean if if you remember the when boris johnson came into government us and others did describe it as the vote leave government uh, because mm-hmm. it, you know quite a lot of the team were involved in the vote leave campaign in various capacities but yeah there wasn't i mean admittedly in politics there aren't you know as the saying goes if you want a friend in politics get a dog but i think vote leave seemed particularly fractious uh, in terms of the the personalities involved and I, it's not that surprising that that was replicated in boris johnson's government um so I don't know that, that yeah, that's particularly a comment on government per se, as it is a comment on the particular personalities involved in this instance. Mm. And I think also just, this is almost a point about Dominic Cummings specifically, but I, it is certainly an attitude that is prevalent among conservatives, is they're, they're very hostile to the civil service anyway. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think even if COVID had not intervened, I would expect that Boris Johnson and Johnson's administration would have been quite combative with the civil service Mm -hmm. Um, If you remember, I mean, Dominic Cummings, actually, one of the things he probably the main thing he wanted to get done during Boris Johnson's premiership was overhauling the civil service um, in various ways, because in in one of the ways he did that was actually he put together a a sort of job recruitment act where he called for freaks and weirdos. Oh, my God, I remember remember that. that. Yeah. Uh, And you applied, right? Yeah, he just I didn't get an answer back. (laughs) It was very rude. Um, maybe they were like, "You just run a podcast. Why do we want?" Would have probably qualified you, to be honest. <laughs> maybe, yeah. To be honest, though, so far from what I've read of the COVID inquiry, nothing has particularly surprised me. Like the fact that Boris Johnson, sorry, Dominic. Cummings, yeah, I feel. Like, I agree. I feel like we know we knew everything. So you were talking specifically about well, the, the fact he called uh, the the cabinet useless fuck pigs. Um, I suppose it's a surprise he wrote it down because I feel like. He seemed. I don't know if you remember Seamus Milne, Jeremy Corbyn's chief of staff, would mm-hmm. was generally quite averse to writing things down. He would generally communicate via phone, so mm-hmm. that there was no paper trail of what he said. And I would, I'd have put Dominic Cummings down as someone who had a similar attitude. But um, I mean, it, just from like seeing excerpts from his blog over the years, his Substack, it's it's obvious he has a very poor view of most of the people he worked with with under Boris Johnson. So. Um, I mean, calling. So he called Helen McNamara, who was a senior civil servant at the time, a cunt, which does seem to have been latched on as a particularly shocking thing. I think mm-hmm. partly because. Which, just for any of my fellow queers who are watching, who are listening to this, mm. um, uh, that's actually not a compliment um, <laughs> in most of the world if someone's cunty. Um, uh, just so you know, most people still think that's a bad word. Well, I think in America it's regarded, maybe not among queer people in America. Oh, it's, ho- it, it's horrific. Yeah, in, yeah, in, in they... general it's seen as really shocking. It's still seen as quite somewhat, sh- it's seen as the worst swear word in the UK, but it's not, 
you know i think australians have the we most love relaxed, relaxed attitude to it like there's they... somebody there's somebody i work with jimmy here's a little bit of office goss for you there's somebody i work with um who uh i said hell yeah and he responded with heck yeah um because because <laughs> he's a christian because um, he yep um uh and i think that uh yeah i've had to i probably should modify my language but i don't want to so i don't Interesting. Two hmm. for thought. Would you modify your language if you were hired as a, a senior civil servant or special advisor for the? I'd the, probably the do the. the, the I'd I'd probably um just call everyone. <laughs> I'd get over my um millennial fear of the telephone call and um <laughs> and start doing that. To but would you, would you moderate your language? Do you think? Would you? Uh, would you? I'm nice very no, Jimmy. Well, I think I am nice to people. <laughs> <laughs> generally is like my default sure. um but I, don't, don't you sure me sure. <laughs> don't you sure me you fucking cunt um <laughs> it only sounds sarcastic because of the sound of my voice it wasn't intended I know, that I way know, I, know. I know it's I, I i i'm aware um but uh i yeah no <laughs> i'm famously terrible at um altering the way that i come across in For different, different contexts okay. yeah i'm i'm constantly persistently and and trapped in being like this all of the time um so yeah i would i would be swearing if i were in cabinet office heaven forbid i think you would be swearing if the covid pandemic was coming down upon you yeah. as well right yeah i think we have plenty of um podcast episodes that show how swearing yeah yeah um but i i think and it's understandable that I mean, you know, I'm part of the problem. I've mostly read articles that have talked about the personalities involved in the co- in terms of what the COVID inquiry has covered. And I haven't really read articles that have done, you know, Dominic Cummings actually sort of said this. He's like, you know, admittedly, this is self-serving, but he said we shouldn't be worrying too much about like the exchanges, you know, the swearing and that sort of thing. Really what the, the, the important question is how prepared was the UK for a pandemic like this and how did it perform? And I do, I do agree that that is the main thing, but I'm not, I'm not sure that is well served by a public inquiry of this nature because I think inevitably, in terms of how the media cover it, it will be about the flashy stuff and it, and, and a lot of stuff in terms of getting prepared for events like this, I would imagine is quite boring, quite humdrum. It will be things like make yeah, sure I, you've got a stock of PPE, that kind of thing. Yeah, I have a, I, I, I kind of take umbrage with the fact that we often get the commentary that. Um, uh, or the analysis that oh they only prepared for a flu pandemic and I'm like that made sense mm. at the time like I uh, like yeah maybe there should have been a little bit more in um, uh, uh, other diseases and and coronaviruses ex- especially but uh, being primarily prepared for a flu pandemic uh, did make sense and does make sense mm. I think so I'm a bit confused by that conclusion i think the statesman did a really good uh summary of uh you mentioned helen mcnamara who was a senior civil servant at the time she had some um criticism around how bad the uh government at the time was around um considering policies that would have affected specifically women Mm. um around this so um thinking about provisions for stuff like healthcare, um i'm sorry childcare, um advice for pregnant women i remember i had a friend who was um uh pregnant at the time um during like the deepest of lockdowns and there just wasn't very much advice around it back then for her anyway i will say on this general theme Mm mm-hmm more men died 
as a result of COVID. Yeah, because we said that we could open up for, oh, let's all go to the footy. Let's open up the pubs. Well, I like, got... those were the priorities. <laughs> and, and, like, at the time, I was like, oh, this is fun. But looking back, I'm like, that's odd stuff to prioritise. Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying that this, um, there was a Guardian article a few, um, and I guess it's, a, you know, it's along the same line of reasoning. It was a few years ago, it was like, oh, it, it, women were, were worse affected by the pandemic. And I'm like, literally men died in, in higher rates, which I would say is... Is, is a metric, you know, quite an important one in terms of who was worse affected by a pandemic. I mean, if it was the other way around, that stat would certainly have been seized on massively. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not even saying that I'm not saying the specifics of what Helen McNamara says is wrong. I just think that I think gen- the incompetence was general. I don't think you know you, there are specific things you can point to, but I, I wouldn't necessarily detect. I don't know that the, the bias was actually that telling in the end, given given the death rates. I don't think Helen McNamara's stuff was specifically like great point. Men died, more, more men died. Um, but I think the like when you're looking at all of the the consequences of the pandemic and lockdowns as a whole, mm. the fact that this government or the sorry, how many governments have we had since then? Oh, so Rishi Sunak was part of that government, he so was you part can of certainly it. see this as continuity to a large um, degree. Uh, but they, uh, the fact that those kind of the provisions that would have disproportionately affected women weren't uh, considered to the same extent as other things that were maybe more driven by, shall we say, more masculine pursuits. Mm. Um, uh, I think is a is an important in- interesting point to make, and that's what happens when you don't have um, enough of a broad church in the room making those decisions, and that certainly is what feels like existed there. I guess so, but do, do you remember for a long time, because uh, Jacinda Ardern, the, the, the New Zealand Prime Minister, was praised mm-hmm. in the initial phase of the pandemic. Because, I mean, New Zealand, no offence, was playing the game on easy mode, but they did do quite a good job. Because, because you know, New Zealand's in the arse end of nowhere. Like, nobody ever flies there. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's not the same. You're not playing yeah, the same yeah, game. Yeah. And um, initially, New Zealand did very well because they had quite a comprehensive lockdown. Uh, they they stopped people coming into the country, um, which I think was always a sensible thing to do, but for some reason was resisted in the UK. But over the long haul, a lot of, a lot of this stuff has evened out, it seems to me. Like countries that were doing well in the beginning didn't necessarily do so well on, say, vaccine procurement, which is something the UK did actually do quite well on. If you look at sort of the Swedish example versus other Scandinavian countries, there's not like there's not a lot of variation. I mean, the UK has has big problems with its health service now, which I think uh, are perhaps more endemic and go beyond the actual COVID response. But I'm I think a lot a lot of weight was put on this kind of diverse voices around the table argument, and I think when you actually look at how the different countries did, you know, I'm, I'm not sure it matters as much as as, as people's claim basically. I'm sceptical. Yeah, fuck women. You're right. That is not what I said. Uh, mm-hmm. People can listen back to, to what, I, what I just said and, and compare Jazz's summary. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is, um, is there anything? I think the other thing, and uh, we can use this to finish off, but I, I've no particular interest in... I, I think we should, you know, I think civil servants should look back at how the UK responded to COVID and they should apply lessons from that to how we prepare for future pandemics, which will happen or at least will threaten to to, to happen. Um, I think that's very important. I'm Personally, I'm kind of over the COVID thing and I'm, I'm not that interested in relitigating it 
um, to any degree. But I have noticed that the right wing commentators I've listened to, they they think that the uh, the COVID inquiry should ask whether we should have locked down at all, and they're actually a completely they really the other are side of using. It. Oh my god! Yeah, stop, stop it. Mm. Um, actually, yeah, I think I'm on. I I I I I, I now agree with you. Um, I <laughs> don't want this. Can I have uh, that writing, please? You may actually. I'll, I'll I'll send you a WhatsApp in a disappearing message. Oh, that's that's cool. I'll screenshot it. So, mm-hmm. and, I mean, all that. and then and then it'll all end up in the inquiry. Um, uh, Jimmy, shall we wrap up? I think we should. Yes. Great final thoughts. Where can they find you on the internet? I'm still on Twitter, which some people are calling X. I don't understand why, but uh, you can find me at JDE Nichols. Where can they find mm-hmm. you, Jazza? They can't find you on Twitter, can they? Because you had a bust up with the big man. Yeah, a, a personal vendetta against yeah. me. How dare he? A personal um, dispute. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I can be just type Jazza John into the, your search engine um, of choice, and something by me will turn up. Mm. Or that other Jazza mm-hmm. guy will turn up. Shut up! Why invoke? Why get me angry as we're <laughs> <laughs> as we're wrapping up? You're so annoying. Thank you. Um, um, okay. we, we are going to do a bonus episode now for, for anyone. Who wants oh yeah, to sign we up are. To yeah, well, well, we aren't. Oh, I see. Okay. No, we are. No, oh, we, we are. are. Okay. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah. We're going to do a bonus episode, even though I've riled Jazza up. Um, maybe it will be particularly good because he's been riled up. No, no. What we need to do, you need to really sell it. So it's like now that Jazza's riled up, we're going to really um, put salt in the wound and get him to talk about uh, America. Uh, okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>